Chapter thirty four of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint Armand. Translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter thirty four The Princess de Lamballe's Murder. The Princess de Lamballe, after being taken from the temple in the night of August 18th to the 19th, had been examined by Biot Varenne at the Hotel de Ville, and then sent at noon, August 19th, to the force. This prison, divided into two distinct parts, the Great and the Little Force, was situated between the Rues, Roi de Sicile, Culture, and Pavé. In 1792, it supplemented the Abbey and Châtelet prisons, which were overcrowded. The little force had a separate entry on the rue Pavé to the Marais, while the door of the large one opened on the rue des Baillets, a few steps from the rue Saint-Antoine. The register of the little force, which is preserved in the archives of the prefecture of police, records that, at the time of the September massacres, this prison, in which the Princess de Lamballe was immured, contained 110 women, most of them not concerned with political affairs, and in great part women of the town. Here, from August 19th to September 3rd, the princess suffered inexpressible anguish. She never heard a turnkey open the door of her cell without thinking that her last hour had come. The massacres began on September 2nd. On that day, the princess de Lamballe was spared. In the evening, she threw herself on her bed, a prey to the most cruel anxiety. Toward six o'clock the next morning, the turnkey entered with a frightened air. They are coming here, he said to the prisoners. Six men, armed with sabres, guns, and pistols, followed him, approached the beds, and asked the names of the women, and went out again. Madame de Tourzel, who shared the Princess de Lamballe's captivity, said to her, This threatens to be a terrible day, dear Princess. We know not what heaven intends for us. We must ask God to forgive our faults. Let us say the miserere and the confiture as acts of contrition and recommend ourselves to his goodness. The two women said their prayers aloud and incited each other to resignation and courage. There was a window which opened on the street and from which, although it was very high, one could see what was passing by mounting on Madame de Lamballe's bed and thence to the window ledge. The princess climbed up and as soon as her head was noticed on the street, a pretense of firing on her was made she saw a considerable crowd at the prison door. Very little doubt remained concerning her fate. Neither she nor Madame de Tourzel had eaten since the previous day, but they were too greatly moved to take any breakfast. They dared not speak to each other. They took their work and sat down to await the result of the fatal day in silence. Toward eleven o'clock the door opened. Armed men filled the room and demanded Madame de Lamballe. The princess put on a gown, bade adieu to Madame de Tourzel, and was led to the great force, where some municipal officers, wearing their insignia, subjected the prisoners to a pretended trial. In front of this tribunal stood executioners with ferocious faces, who brandished bloody weapons. The atmosphere was sickening, full of the steam of carnage and the odours of wine and blood. Madame de Lamballe fainted. When she recovered consciousness, she was interrogated. Who are you? Marie-Louise, Princess of Savoy. What is your rank? Superintendent of the Queen's household. 
Were you acquainted with the conspiracies of the court on August 10th? I do not know that there were any conspiracies on August 10th, but I know I had no knowledge of them. Swear liberty, equality, hatred to the king, the queen, and royalty. I will swear the first two without difficulty. I cannot swear the last. It is not in my heart. Here an assistant said in a whisper to Madame de Lambaye, Swear it. If you do not swear, you are a dead woman. The princess made no answer. She put her hands up to her eyes, covered her face with them, and made a step toward the wicket. The judge exclaimed, Let someone release Madame. This phrase was the death signal. Two men took the victim roughly by the arms and made a walk over corpses. Hardly had she crossed the threshold when she received a blow from a sabre on the back of her head, which made her blood flow in streams. In the narrow passage leading from the Rue Saint-Antoine to the force, and called the priest's cul-de-sac, she was dispatched with pikes on a heap of dead bodies. Then they stripped off her clothes and exposed her body to the insults of a horde of cannibals. When the blood had flowed from her wounds, or that of the neighboring corpses had soiled the body too much, they washed it with a sponge, so that the crowd might notice its whiteness better. They cut off her head and her breasts, they tore her heart out, and of this head and this heart they made horrible trophies. The pikes which bore them were lifted high in air, and they went to carry around these excellent spoils of the revolution. At the very moment when the hideous procession began its march, Madame de Lebel, the wife of a painter who owed many benefits to Madame de Lambaye, was trying to get near the prison, hoping to hear news of her. Seeing the great commotion in the crowd, she inquired the cause. When someone replied, It is Lambaye's head that they are going to carry through Paris, she was seized with horror, and, turning back, took refuge in a hairdresser's shop on the Place Bastille. Hardly had she done so, when the crowd entered the Place. The murderers came into the shop and required the hairdresser to arrange the head of the princess. They washed it and powdered the fair hair, all soiled with blood. Then one of the assassins cried joyfully, Now, at any rate, Antoinette can recognize her. The procession resumed its march. From time to time they called a halt before a wine shop. Wishing to empty his glass, the scoundrel who had the princess's head in his hand set it flat down on the lead counter. Then it was put back on the end of a pike. The heart was on another pike, and other individuals dragged along the headless corpse. In this manner they arrived in front of the temple. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. On that day, the royal family had been refused permission to go into the garden. They were in the little tower when the cries of the multitude became audible. The workmen who were then employed in tearing down the walls and buildings contiguous to the temple dungeon mingled with the crowd, increased also by innumerable curious spectators, and uttered furious shouts. One of the municipal guards at the temple closed doors and windows, and pulled down curtains so that the captives could see nothing. On the street in front of the enclosure, a tricolored ribbon had been fastened across with this inscription citizens you who know how to ally the love of order with a just vengeance respect this barrier it is necessary to our surveillance and our responsibility this was the sole dike they meant to oppose to the torrent at the side of this ribbon stood a municipal officer named Danjou, formerly a priest who was called abbe six feet on account of his height he mounted on a chair and harangued the crowd he felt his face touched by Madame de Lambaye's head, still on the end of a pike, which the bearer shook about and gesticulated with, and also by a rag of a chemise soaked with blood and mire, which another individual also carried on a pike. The naked body was there, likewise, with its back to the ground and the front cut open to the breast. Danjou tried to make the crowd of assassins, 
who wanted to invade the temple understand that at a moment when the enemy was master of the frontiers it would be impolitic to deprive themselves of hostages so precious as louis the sixteenth and his family moreover he added would it not demonstrate their innocence if you dare not try them how much worthier it is of a great people to execute a king guilty of treason on the scaffold thus while preventing an immediate massacre he held the scaffold in reserve d'anjou said that the communal council in order to show its confidence in the citizens composing the mob had decided that six of them should be admitted to make the rounds of the temple garden with the commissioners at their head the ribbon was then raised and several persons entered the enclosure there were those who carried the remains of madame de lamballe with these were the laborers who had been at work on the demolitions voices were heard demanding furiously that marie antoinette should show herself at a window so that some might climb up and make her kiss her friend's head as d'anjou opposed this infernal scheme he was accused of being on the side of the tyrant was the dungeon of the temple to be forced were the assassins about to seize the queen tear her in pieces and drag her like a friend through the streets and squares to the rolling of drums and the chanting of the marseillaise and the Ira. the municipal officer entered the tower and began a mysterious parley with his colleagues as louis the sixteenth asked what was going on someone replied well sir since you desire to know they want to show you madame de lamballe's head meanwhile the cries outside were growing louder another municipal came in followed by four delegates from the mob one of them who carried a heavy sabre in his hand insisted that the prisoners should present themselves at the window but this was opposed by the municipal officers who were less cruel this man said to the queen in an insulting tone they want us to hide the princess de lamballe's head from you when we brought it to let you see how the people avenge themselves on their tyrants i advise you to show yourself if you don't want the people to come up marie antoinette fainted on learning her friend's death in this manner her children burst into tears and tried by their caresses to bring her back to consciousness the man did not go away sir the king said to him we are prepared for the worst but you might have dispensed yourself from informing the queen of this frightful calamity Clary, the king's valet was looking through a corner of the window of blinds and saw madame de lamballe's head the person carrying it had climbed up on a heap of rubbish from the buildings in process of demolition another who stood beside him held her bleeding heart Clary heard d'anjou expostulating the crowd in words like these antoinette's head does not belong to you the departments have their rights in it also france has confided these great criminals to the care of paris and it is your business to assist us in guarding them until national justice shall avenge the people then addressing himself to these cannibals as if they were heroes whose courage and exploits he praised he added in speaking of the profound corpse of the princess de lamballe the remains you have there are the property of all do they not belong to all paris have you the right to deprive others of the pleasure of sharing your triumph night will soon be here make haste then to quit this precinct which is too narrow for your glory you ought to place this trophy in the palais royal or the tuileries garden where the sovereignty of the people has been so often trampled underfoot as an eternal monument of the victory you have just won remarks like these were all that could prevent these tigers from entering the temple and destroying the prisoners shouts of to the palais royal proved to d'anjou that his harangue had been appreciated the assassins at last departed after having covered his face with kisses that smelt of wine and blood they wanted to show their victim's head at the hotel toulouse the mansion of the venerable duke de pantievre her father-in-law but were deterred by the assurance that she did not ordinarily live there but at the tuileries then they turned toward the palais royal the duke of orleans was at a window with his mistress madame de buffon he left it 
but he may have seen the head of his sister-in-law. Some of the cannibals had remained in the neighborhood of the temple. Sitting down at table in a wine shop, they had the heart of the Princess de Lamballe cooked, and ate it with avidity. Thus, says M. de Beauchesne, in his excellent work on Louis the Seventeenth, this civilization which had departed from God surpassed at a single bound the fury of savages, and the eighteenth century, so proud of its learning and humanity, ended by anthropophagy. In the evening, when someone was giving the Colo des Bois an account of the day's performances, he expressed but one regret, that they had not succeeded in showing Marie Antoinette the remains of the Princess de Lamballe. What, he spitefully exclaimed, did they spare the Queen that impression? They ought to have served up her best friend's head in a covered dish at her table. End of Section 34 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama